that ministry to us. I so appreciate your musicians and leading us to the Lord. What a joy. What a, what a blessing and a ministry to me. So good to be with you. Pastor Brad and the entire group that we've been with have been so gracious to us. And we've had a good weekend here. We're from Dallas, Texas. So we're experiencing uh, New York and having a great time. We went yesterday to Lake Placid and uh, rode the elevator to the top of the 90-meter jump. And uh, I found out one more thing in life that I am not going to do. That was, uh, that was interesting up there. And I, I, I said to my coworker, Mark, who's with me, what, what sane person would get on a pair of skis and go down this thing? That is, that is stunning. How many of you have been up there? Most of you probably have been up there. Wow, I'm, uh, I'm happy for my occupation and glad to be what I'm up to. So, uh, as Pastor Brad said, my name is Dave Gibson. I'm leading the field ministry at East-West. And my co-worker, uh, Mark, is here. He's leading our mobilization at East-West. And we're just great to be with you and, and spend the weekend with you. Our ministry is 25 years old. We focus on planting churches in the spiritually darkest places on earth. We go to places that are less than 2% Christian, typically restricted access. They don't want us in there, either because of the worldview or the religion or the government. And uh, so we're going in and uh, sort of under the cover, either as business people or language students or language teachers or tourists, however we can get in there and then share the good news about Jesus, explain what Jesus did for them, and do our best to plant churches. Uh, The churches we plant are 3 to 20 people meeting in a house or an apartment or under a tree. Uh, We don't build buildings, can't afford to build buildings, not legal to build buildings, not going to reach the world building buildings. We just use the places that believers already own to share the gospel and to do church. And they do all the things that you do. Worship, Lord's Supper, baptism, study the Word, fellowship, evangelism. Do all the things that you do and all the things that I do at my church in Dallas, Texas. But they do it in a setting that's much smaller, much cheaper, and frankly, much safer in these countries to meet in a home. And they're pastored by a person with rudimentary training. These are people who don't have the luxury of going to seminary. But they are trained. They love God. They are trained how to study the book, capital B. And this is the ministry that we've been up to for 25 years now. We have a display in the back. We're going to invite you to come there and see what we're up to. Lots of free literature. Uh, We are also going to talk at the end of this message about an opportunity, as Pastor Brad said, to go to Cuba with us. We do five days of evangelism and one day of sightseeing. Uh, We go into Cuba as tourists, as far as the Cuban government is concerned. But we go in as religious workers as far as the American government is concerned. Completely legal with the American government. They are happy to have us in there sharing Christ in the face of the communism and the darkness. But uh, then we go in as tourists on the other side and share Christ for five days. So we'll talk about that more in a little bit. So today, uh, I want to I think with you together about a passage out of Matthew 4, verses 17 to 22. Pastor Brad, I have a huge hatred of podiums and pulpits and... Is this offensive to me to stand here instead of here? <laughs> but you can be an idiot, Dave, and stand over here if you'd like. Okay. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Matthew chapter 4, please. Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 to 22. Jesus is just beginning his ministry, and here's what it says. From that time, verse 17 of Matthew 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was going through Israel saying, Repent, 
change your mind at a heart level about God, about me, about sin, and about dead works. Because the kingdom is right here. The king, the ruler is right here. Change your mind about these things because the king is right here. Verse 18. Now, he is, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, friends, just before I pray for us, I want to say uh, I'm, I'm very confident that these men had exposure to Jesus before this. They understood he was the most compelling man they had ever known. This is not, you know, sort of the Star Wars mind game. These are not the droids you're looking for. Let them pass. This was not him overwhelming them with their humanity, with his divinity and saying, come follow me and sort of mind game. These were people who had experienced Jesus. They knew he was the most compelling man they had ever seen. And they were following him willingly and happily. Walked away from their income. Walked away from their capital investment. Walked away from their families. They just said, yes, I'm in. I will follow you. And we're going to look today at the sort of core command he gave them as they did follow him. And the core command, I believe, he gives us as we 2,000 years later follow him as well. Let me pray for us, please. Father, we bless you for this good day. Thank you so much for this Lord's Day. We want to worship you today, Father, in spirit and in truth. We want, to, we want to open ourselves up, as many have already said and prayed, to the work of your Holy Spirit. We need you to help us. Lord, I have nothing written on this paper that will help unless your Spirit would work. That's very clear to me. It's even more clear to you. And so we're asking your Spirit to work in, in each of our hearts, starting with mine. Let us be more in love with Jesus a half hour from now. Let us be more committed to Jesus a half hour from now. Let us be better stewards of everything you've entrusted to us a half hour from now. And give that to us by your kindness and because we have submitted to your Spirit and to your book, capital B. We pray your help in this in Christ's name. Amen. A few months ago, my wife and I were going on a trip. We had the bright idea to book a 6 a.m. flight. I don't know why. It meant we had to be on a shuttle leaving our hotel at 4 a.m. And so at 4 in the morning, we're riding in a shuttle in the dark to the airport, and there's a man driving a shuttle who's 35 or 38 years old. And so I engaged him in conversation, and I said, you know, how long have you been driving here? And he said, well, just two years, but I'm really an, an airline pilot. I mean, I'm not quite an airline pilot, but I'm going to be because I've taken my training and I have my multi-engine rating and I think I'm just about to break into the airline. I said, that's wonderful. That's outstanding. You know, keep, keep going for it. Well, this shuttle ride was quite a, quite a long ride and so we talked more and talked more and talked more. And as we talked, it turned out uh, he was living in his father's basement. He hadn't done anything in the last three years to move toward being an airline pilot. He was not getting any training. He didn't have any applications in. And he was not actually doing what he told me the first moment that he was doing. Now, I'm not telling you that to ridicule this man because I've had a lot of ways in my life when I've been hung up and not doing the stuff 
I told others and told myself I was doing. I'm not telling you that to ridicule that man. I'm telling you that to have you ask yourself the question, as I ask myself the question, am I really doing the things I say I am doing? For example, if I've trusted Jesus, I think I would like to say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a serious follower of Jesus Christ. His life, his teachings mandate how I go about life. But what I fear is maybe a lot of times I'm like this man who is saying something but not actually living out what Jesus said to do. I've not actually taken his commands to heart. I'm not actually the follower of Jesus that I say I am because I'm not doing the core stuff he said to do. Maybe I'm doing core stuff for the American dream. Maybe I'm doing core stuff for my own promotion. Maybe I'm doing the core things that I, that I want to do to become a, a happier, healthier, more at ease person. Am I really doing the stuff that Jesus told me to do? I, I have a neighbor in Dallas who on, on his front door has a sign that says, Go away. I don't want to buy anything. I don't want to sign anything. I don't want to answer anything, and I've already found Jesus. So, I lived next to him for five and a half years, and to me, there was no evidence that he had found Jesus, or more accurately, that Jesus had found him. I mean, zero evidence, not a shred that Jesus had found him. I'm not telling you that to condemn my neighbor, man. I'm telling you that to ask you to ask yourself the question, is there evidence that Jesus has found you? Is there evidence for me that Jesus has found me? Am I doing the core things that the king told me to do? Look at a single verse today in Matthew chapter 4. Talk about three of the core things that Jesus said should be going on in my life if I'm really following him. If he really has found me. Three core things that will be true of me. So the book of Matthew was written by the apostle Matthew to convince the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. He says he has the right lineage. He goes through the first chapter. He was born to the right people. He was born in the right town. His words and his works, all of them testify to him being king. He said the stuff that a king would say, and he did the stuff that a universal king would do. He raised people from the dead. He healed people. He confronted people with their sin. He provided for people. He delivered them from demons. He did all the things that a king would do. And so Matthew is saying, listen, this is the king. King of the Jews. King of the Gentiles. King of the universe. King of this church. King of your life. King of my life. And when you're a king, you have absolute sovereign rule over your subjects. You just say jump and they say how high. Absolute sovereign rule. One theologian said there's not a square inch of creation over which God does not claim absolute authority. Another theologian said if I thought there was one atom or one molecule out there somewhere in the universe outside the sovereignty of God, I couldn't sleep at night. There's not a molecule over which God does not claim and exercise absolute authority. He claims and exercises absolute authority over me he is the king. And so Matthew chapter 4, 19, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's a description of what happened 
It's a pattern of what should happen for us. I don't think it's a suggestion. So my son-in-law is in the Marine Corps, and uh, he was stationed in Southern California a few years ago, and he got orders for Okinawa. Southern California, Okinawa. Where do I want to be? Well, it doesn't matter where he wants to be. He's not going to come to work the next morning and say to his commanding officer, listen, uh, Amy and I talked this over. We don't like the idea of Okinawa. So if you just rewrite those orders to stay right here in Carlsbad, California, that'd be real nice. Okay, thank you, sir. Have a nice day. That's not the kind of thing you say to the Marine Corps. I have huge respect for the Marine Corps, huge respect for my son-in-law. My son-in-law gets orders to Okinawa, and he goes home and he tells his wife, and they start packing boxes. Someone greater than the Marine Corps is here, friends. Jesus. Much as I respect the Marine Corps, someone greater than the Marine Corps is here. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So in that very brief statement, he's giving really three things that will happen here. Three foundational realities I have to say to myself. Am I like my neighbor who said, I've already found Jesus, but has given zero evidence? Or am I like these four men who followed Jesus? The first thing he says is, you need to follow me. It means to come off of the path that you were on and come over and get right behind Jesus and walk exactly behind Jesus. Do what he does. Think like he thinks. Feel like he feels. Act like he acts. Say what he says. Put yourself right exactly behind Jesus and step in his footsteps. When I was a boy, my father taught me how to hunt. My, my father was an avid, addicted hunter. And he would walk through the woods extremely quietly with his gun at ready. And I mean slow and quiet. And he taught me to step right in his steps. I mean, one, every step he stepped in, my job as a 12-year-old was to just step right where he stepped. And if I would get out of his steps and step on a twig and break it, he would turn around Gosh, step where I'm stepping. It was just, you better stay in my steps, son. When we follow Jesus, we get right behind him. We step in his steps. Now, we can easily step in the steps of the American dream. We can just say, hey, I want it all. And I'm walking in a path that's just behind the American dream. Or just behind greed. Or just behind lust. Or just behind physical fitness. Or just behind achievement. Or just behind whatever we want. And Jesus says to us, get off the path you were on and come over here and get right on my path and walk right behind me. Because when you stay behind me, when you're right on my path, you accomplish my will through your life and you also experience an extreme amount of joy. Extreme joy. There's joy in the journey no matter how tough it is. If you're right on the path, right behind Jesus, he's saying to, to us, I want you to live like I live. There, that, that, that involves about 800 New Testament commands. You understand there's 800 commands in the New Testament. There's a ton of things we need to be adjusting our lives to if we're going to walk right behind him. But the first thing he said to these people was, stop following the path of commercial fishing and start following the path of fishing for men. Now, friends, you can be a commercial fisherman and still be in the path of fishing for men. Not arguing against occupations, not arguing against going into full-time ministry, it's not for everyone. But full-time following of Jesus is for everyone who's trusted Christ. So the first thing he's saying to us is, 
Get off the path you were on and follow Jesus. Get right in my path. Here's the second thing he's saying. This is something we usually skip over. Middle of verse 19, he says, I will make you. I will form you. I will transform you. You will be a different person after you have started to follow me. And I want to read one verse, Romans 8, 29. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. God's goal in our lives is to make us like Jesus. That's His deep heart commitment, is for us to look like His Son. He's very committed to transforming us, to taking us from who we were and making us look like Jesus Christ. John, John says, when we see Jesus, <clears throat> we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. Here's what's happening, friends. We trust Christ down here, and we don't look much like Jesus. And then we start on this path where we're not, it's not a universal upward path, but it's a generally trending upward path until we get more like Jesus. And then we die, or the rapture happens, and we see Jesus face to face, and then we do this jerk up to Christ-likeness. It's, it's a long gap for everybody. It's a long gap for the most mature person in the world until we're exactly like Jesus. You are on a collision course with Christ-likeness. You are going to get there. So am I. It's going to be a very happy day for us. I can't describe to you the joy when we're like Jesus. That's the place we're headed. But he says in the meantime... My commitment is not for you to be happy. My commitment is for you to be holy. God is not committed to our happiness. I'm sorry. I'm committed to my happiness. God is not real cooperative in that. God's got nothing against happiness. In fact, He's very pro-joy. But His huge issue is holiness. His huge issue is me looking like Jesus. And so he says, when I start to follow him, when I trust him, I get off whatever path I was on, I get in the path right behind him. And then he says, I'm going to form you. He's deeply committed to it. He's tenacious about it. He never stops. God is always up to something. Believe me. He's always up to something. He is the consummate initiative taker. And what he's up to in our lives is maturity. Deeply committed to that. Now friends, we had a dog once that was a uh, it was a cross between a Cocker Spaniel and a Chihuahua. Two of the d- ten dumbest breeds in America. Uh, this dog this dog had two brain cells, but they were never close enough to each other to have an idea. I mean, it was... It would take a long time to explain this to you. My wife took this dog to obedience school. And after the second night, the instructor said, Don't bring this dog back here. We have a dog that was kicked out of obedience school. Now, the dog has passed away, you know, rest in peace and all that, but the dog is gone. What's the purpose of obedience school for a dog? Train them. You want the dog to come out the back end of obedience school a better dog. You don't want it jumping on people. You don't want it running away. You want it coming when you call it. You want it to sit when you tell it to sit. You want a different dog when you come out of the back end of obedience school. If you put a person in a Navy SEAL school, you want a different man coming out of the back end of Navy SEAL school. If you put a person into music school, you want a different person coming out the back end of music school. The purpose of these things is transformation. 
And Jesus' purpose in our lives is transformation. When I trust Him, He says, get off this path, get over right behind me, and then I'm going to form you. I'm going to change you. You're going to be a different person when you come out of the back end of relationship with Jesus Christ than you were than when you went into the front end. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, They observed the disciples, that they were unlearned and uneducated men. They were amazed at their teaching, and they observed they had been with Jesus. Uneducated, untrained, with Jesus became amazing. Transformed by the very relationship and presence with Jesus. You and I have the option of being with Jesus. Walking behind Him, getting into the Gospels, understanding who He is, what He did, what He said, understanding what He promised, understanding what He expected. Not getting to know about Him, but getting to know Him so that I become, I come from the place I am to time with Jesus, relationship with Jesus, and become in the eyes of the world an amazing person because I've been transformed by Jesus. That is just such a powerful passage to me. When we hang out with Jesus, we become amazing people. Not great, glorious people. Amazing people for our maturity and our dedication and the ways we go about life. So there's the first two pieces. Number one, I follow. Number two, I'm formed. And number three, verse 19, I fish. I become a person who begins to share Jesus Christ with others. So you have this coin. On the one side is following. In the middle is forming. And on the other side is fishing. Three key issues if I want to say Jesus really has found me. I look at my neighbor and I can say, he doesn't go to church, therefore Jesus didn't find him. Or I say, he uses foul language, therefore Jesus didn't find him. Or I say, he treats his wife badly, therefore Jesus didn't find him. But what if Jesus looked at me and said, Dave, you're not, you didn't change paths when you trusted me. I don't think you've been found by me. Dave, you didn't get yourself formed. You didn't submit to my forming. I wonder what really happened there. Dave, you're not fishing. Am I really doing the core things Jesus said to do? He said, I want you, as I form you, I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. How do you do that? Friends, I used to work for Montana State Division of Forestry. It's literally decades ago. And I was riding in a car with a co-worker. And he came right straight. I was a brand new Christian. He came right straight out and asked me, he said, how do you have a relationship with God? When I stopped talking 20 minutes later, he was closer to Buddha than he was to Jesus. I mean... You talk about botch a gospel presentation. It was a mess. He was, he was confused and I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. Friends, for the first ten years of my Christian faith, I avoided evangelism like the plague. I was scared to death. Literally didn't know what to say. Literally was just praying the opposite of what Jesus was praying, which is, don't let anybody ask me. How do you become a fisher of men? Let me suggest some basic things. Number one, you trust Christ for your own salvation. You understand, I have a sin problem. It separates me from the holy God of the universe. I can't personally fix it. I am hopeless. I am helpless. There is literally nothing I can do to make my situation better. Friends, that's the worst news I can imagine. I'm going to spend eternity without Jesus, and there's nothing I can do about it. That's bad news. The gospel always starts with bad news. The good news, Jesus paid for my sin on the cross. Hung on the cross, 
All of my sin was stacked on him. As we sang this morning, Jesus was cursed for me. It wasn't his sin. He had none. It was mine. So you take the 20 billion people who ever lived, you line up in a line, and you bring it one and one and one at a time to die on the cross. And I got the front of the line, it's my turn to die on the cross, and Jesus says, Dave, stand over here. And he goes up and dies for me instead of me. If you don't understand substitution, you don't understand the Christian faith. Jesus died in our place. And then he says, you must trust Christ. Put all of your hope right here. Stop trusting in all these other things. Put all your hope in Jesus Christ. The first thing to do to be a fisherman is to trust Christ. And then as I submit myself to God in this process, then I learn the gospel. Friends, there's about 50 ways to say it and still be clear, but let me just say it in the clearest way I know. Bad news, good news, invitation. You have a sin problem that separates you from God, you can't fix it. That's the bad news. Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. You can be forgiven by trusting Christ. That's the good news. Invitation. Is there anything keeping you from trusting Christ right now? At East West, we say we've not presented the gospel unless we give the invitation. We've not presented the gospel unless there's a way for you to say yes to Jesus or say no to Jesus. So when we give the the gospel verbally, we say, would you be willing to trust Christ right now? When we give the gospel through a Jesus film, we, we have an altar call literally at the end. When we give the gospel through the Internet, there's a button to push that says, I trusted Jesus, or I want more literature, or I'd be willing to talk to someone. <clears throat> Bad news, good news, invitation. Trust Christ, learn the gospel. If I had known that, friends, in that car 30 or 40 years ago, my, my friend could have had a clear gospel message. Not saying he would have trusted Christ, but he could have had a clear gospel message. Then cultivate compassion for lost people. Friends, this is not trying to win an argument with a spiritually bankrupt person. That's not, what, that's not what evangelism is. This is trying to bring a lost person to relationship with God. It's a matter of compassion. Now, I want to know the arguments. I want to be able to say something when they say to me, the Bible's full of errors. I want to know what to say when they say to me, I don't even think God exists. I want to know what to say when they say to me, the Bible's been translated so many times it can't be accurate. I want to know what to say at that point. But this is not to win an argument with a spiritually illiterate person. This is to bring salvation, compassion of Jesus to a person who doesn't know Christ. The Bible literally says that Jesus wept for the lost. And then, being a person who figures out how to get in proximity with lost people, How do I get next to lost people? How do I build relationship with them? How do I turn it into a gospel conversation? Let me give you one simple, simple example. Your story, my story, God's story. Sit down with a person, hey, what's your story? They'll talk for one to five minutes about their story. Well, they told their story, now guess what? I get to tell my story. What's my story? My story is I spent my teenager my teenage years in mental illness. I was so afraid of God, so afraid of the the dark, my dad, snakes, girls, high places, tight places, speaking in public. I was so afraid of everything. I I fell asleep at 3 o'clock every morning out of sheer exhaustion. I was mentally ill. I had no one to speak to. And when I was 19 years old, I was given a little gospel tract that led me to study the Gospel of John by myself in my bedroom in Tucson, Arizona, and I trusted Christ. And the very next morning, life started to get better for me. I wasn't healed the next morning, but I was on the path of healing the next morning. That's my story. 
life before God, how I came to God, life after God. You told your story, I told my story, now I tell you God's story. We're all part of a bigger story. God did something for us to forgive our sin and draw us to himself. Your story, my story, God's story. Once I get in proximity to a lost person, there's a way for me to get into uh, a gospel presentation. And the last step in this is see what God will do. See what God will do. Listen, friends, God has a habit of putting seekers next to Christians who have demonstrated they will open their mouths. The gospel is words. Romans 10, 13 to 15. How will they hear unless someone is sent? They need a preacher. The people who respond in faith are the people who heard the words. God wants me to simply open my mouth and see what he's going to do. So those are the three elements, friends. Following, forming, and fishing. What am I severely dedicated to? Am I dedicated to following and to forming and to fishing? One of the ways you can live into this, friends, is by joining us on a short-term trip. We take about 50 trips a year, for example, to Cuba. We spend five days sharing Christ at prearranged appointments with people who don't know God. It is a stunning, stunning opportunity. We see, I'm not making this up, 50% of the people in Cuba trust Christ when we give them the gospel. They live for 80 years in atheism, communism, Santeria witchcraft, abject poverty, deep discouragement. The gospel is so bright in those dark living rooms, 50% of them say yes to Jesus. Mark, will you kindly show this film for us just for a moment? Havana, Cuba, about to go on a mission trip to get people to see and understand our Heavenly Father. I was second-guessing myself, even on the plane, thinking, I don't know if I'm strong enough to do this. An evangelistic campaign is like a fisherman preparing their network and going there by faith is like when Peter start walking over the water and just answering to a direct call from the Lord. It is itself a transforming experience. I feel like that uh, I, if I'm following Jesus, I have to step out of my boundaries to fulfill what I've got to fulfill in my life. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Y entonces, pues, ahora saldremos so now we're going to uh, share our faith and we trust that the Lord is going to help us in that work.
in the first two years doing these uh, campaigns, I was more uh, expecting, even praying, I must confess, oh God, uh, allow me to work with a brother or sister in which I can learn from a missionary with experience. And experience was the very thing Rick Pellman did not have. Well, well, thank you again for allowing us to be here. As a relatively new believer, Rick landed in Havana, Cuba, having never shared his faith with another person, or even venturing outside of the United States. To say he took a leap of faith in coming would be an understatement. I was questioning myself over and over and over if I was, uh, I had enough knowledge about Christ to, to express that, to evangelize to other people. And uh, I had tons of fears and, and anxiety and uh, stress and of leaving my family. Thankfully, Rick was paired with a seasoned translator and longtime friend of East West. I can tell you after 10 years uh, doing this amazing and holy job, but I can tell you that I'm not concerned about nervousness. On their first day together, Rick went from home to home to get people to see and understand. But the experience overwhelmed him. The words did not come eloquently, and in most cases, they did not come at all. Something that really impressed me that first uh, morning sharing with him was, uh, let's use this term, a passion with no words. He was expressing passion, love for the lost through his eyes, his body language. When he started talking, uh, he didn't use many words at the beginning, but he was trying to uh, communicate an urgent message. So uh, from that very uh, first morning, I did know that I was in front of a man of God with a real call, a real passion, a messenger with a very important message that must be received. Midway through the second day, again with words escaping him, Rick froze up when it came time to share his faith. That is when something profound happened. In a sideways glance to LeJuan for help, Rick put aside the notion that his fear and inexperience disqualified him from impacting life and opened himself to receiving the very grace he came to proclaim. In that look, everything changed. The Holy Spirit moved and LeJuan shifted from translator to mentor. What happened if they die today? They got for sure that they get into the heaven. They can into the heaven. You may ask them that question. Just an diagnosis. I think at that right moment uh, we just started clicking. He uh, he understands where I'm coming from. Uh, I understand where he's coming from, and we're both here for the same thing, and that's the glory of God, honestly. And uh, he's truly been a major mentor while I've been here in Cuba. I felt uh, that we did connect and uh, God allowed uh, that spiritual connection and chemistry just to, okay, God saying, okay guys, 
I'm in charge here. Let's go. He, he doesn't know the next family, uh, but they, are, um, they want to know about the gospel, and they are open to receive our visits. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Just ask Aleda and her sister Mirta. The two live on the fourth floor of a Soviet-style apartment complex in the heart of a once beautiful Havana suburb. We were walking around evangelizing and we got brought to this room. These two uh, elderly ladies were in there and one of them had Parkinson's disease uh, real bad. The more I got to talking with them, the more I realized that uh, they just didn't have any hope. They didn't have any peace in their life and they uh, pretty much lived that way you know, for 80 something years. They felt like uh, people that has been just uh, forget it by the authorities, abandoned, or they feel less than others. That's not true, but that's what they feel. They, they don't have Jesus. They don't have uh, a newborn soul. Not only did they not have Jesus, but in their 80 years, these two women had never even heard the gospel. So the story Rick and LeDuan delivered that afternoon was like a revolution of their hearts. Hoy aceptar este regalo de salvación, poniendo usted su confianza en Jesucristo como su Señor y Salvador. Sí. They want to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their only Savior today. Merecían un castigo. I believe Christ died for me and rose from the grave. Creo que Jesucristo murió por mí y resucitó de los muertos confío solo en Jesucristo como mi salvador way ahead of many others around because they receive not a temporary hope they did receive an eternal hope and hope was found in abundance that evening it's not about how much or how little Christ that you know or experience or your background in Christianity or how long you've been a believer or anything like that it has everything to do with just sharing the gospel and what little I knew changed their lives and not so much did it change their lives but it changed my life as a Christian uh, that sharing the faith in the gospel is the only way I'm going to live for the rest of my life Let me just close, friends, by saying that uh, following, forming, and fishing is for all of us. All of us. I went to Bible school. I got a degree in 1982. The diploma is currently in a box lost in a storage unit in Idaho. I am not called to this because I have a diploma that I've lost somewhere. I'm called to this because I'm a believer.
the same reason you're called to work. You don't need to have a diploma lost in your garage. Rick was a general contractor who was a brand new Christian leading people to faith in Christ. Following, forming, fishing. It's for all of us. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for calling us. Thank you for the salvation you offer us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the mandate. Empower us by your Spirit. Give us your courage for this work. And I pray for East Glenville Community Church that this would be a body of people who, because of compassion for the lost, share the good news here, share the good news around the world. Use these people to your glory. Let them experience your joy. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.